The following podcast contains adult themes and topics. Yes, we're going to talk about adults and their learning habits. What did you expect? We are Natalia. I'm Ida. I'm Bogdan. And together we invite you to join our non-formal talks. Hello and welcome back to some quality educational time. Today we have something very exciting on the menu, I think. We are going to discuss learner-centeredness or learner-centered approach, as it's called. We hinted to this a bit in our previous episode when we discussed principles of non-formal education, because of course this is one of the, well, one of the core principles of non-formal education. And learner-centeredness, surprise, surprise, is when the learner is put in the center of the learning space or the learning experience. And I would say rather than being a passive receiver of information, the learner becomes co-creator maybe of the educational journey. But what does it mean and what can we do as educators to achieve this? And is it always something that we want to achieve? So this is something that we're going to cover uh, over the next time that we spend together. But Natalia and Bogdi, um, if you think back as your own journey in education as learners or maybe educators, can you give an example of uh, when learner-centered approach has actually been in place in any way? Maybe we can start covering it through an example. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I guess I came across this experience for my first time when I was in school, in fact, mm. which is a little bit very surprising because my school was very formal. But then uh, <laughs> there were these two classes, one on biology and one on uh, mm. economics, which I guess were pretty learner-centered, which of course, I mean, we did not know that they were learner-centered, but as kids, we loved those classes the most. And when it came um, to uh, biology, for instance, mm. I remember once when uh, we came to class and we were learning this bone system, uh, like basically how the skeleton of mm. a human being looks like. And then instead of uh, having a lecture or something, our teacher just gave us um, a pile of bones. <laughs> and then she said that basically there are bones of human beings plastic bones, not real bones. Good, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> for clarifying. <laughs> uh, then uh, dog bones <laughs> and some bones of frog. Mm. And then uh, it was like a constructor. We had to basically to construct mm. back a human being, uh, a frog and a dog from, this, uh, mm. from these bones. Can I just say it's interesting yeah. that you, I don't know how many years ago this was, many years ago, many but years you still ago. remember this. Yeah, I still remember And that. probably if you would have seen instead a picture or there would have been a different way of telling you this information, you wouldn't remember it, I, my guess. Most probably, most probably. Also this economics. And that was basically full of simulations and uh, study cases. And I remember that was also quite uh, an eye-opener that you can teach how economy works Mm. through a simulation in a classroom Mm. with a very fixed um, setting when you Mm. have these desks uh, in built and uh, very little thing which you actually Mm. can move. But still, it was very powerful, I must say. And Mm. this is my experience as a learner Mm. and uh, in school. Very interesting. Bogdi, what about you? Do you have something similar from your childhood or maybe it's later? Uh, No, my examples from childhood are with the hands almost tied behind your back and your mouth shut. (laughs) And uh, 
actually what I wanted to to reflect on on Natalia's question is more to think whether this was actually a learner center or was it more powerful experiential learning uh, experience. Why do I say that? Because the moment you said that you remember it in school, for me, this uh, principle of learner-centeredness is a, a diametrally opposite to anything that happens in school. Because if I look at how I define it, for me, it's it's about the need of the person that uh, that wants to learn. Uh, and it's it's not just the need in terms of content, but it's also need in terms of method. And for me, uh, in school, you, you don't have a say in that. The curriculum is already decided for you by someone. So the teacher in the example you gave, basically for me, was already uh, aware of what you need to learn, but it, you didn't have a say in that. So for me, this would be uh, an interesting um, also concept to reflect on because we can ov obviously turn this learning center on different kind of uh, facets. Mm. In fact, uh, I was reflecting on that a little bit because learner certainness for me um, often looked a little bit mysterious how you can ensure it if learner need to be uh, in a way, need to choose everything. Mm. And then I was actually asking myself whether this is really so. And then I was reading a couple of um, articles and I guess uh, I agree with, uh, with some of the findings. And one of those says that in general learner-centeredness is there when learner is not object of a learning process but an active actor. And this of course refers to experiential learning and active participation stimulated by curiosity mm -hmm. or, or will of a learner. And I guess when it comes to learner-centeredness, if we look at um, also different uh, articles, the, the, the last I, I read was uh, um, from one of those children organizations. Basically, uh, when they were working with the kids drop out from schools, and one of the principles there was to implement this learner-centeredness within sometimes formal curriculum. And I guess this is how I started thinking, well, maybe it's not always that learner is in place to choose everything, but rather somehow to be engaged in a way that he or she or them becomes engaged and uh, becomes a center of this learning process, which is purely individual. And then they are led in a way by a teacher or by someone uh, also to reflect what exactly they have learned out of this uh, process. I think also the reason why I mentioned in my introduction was this word co-creator of learning, which, which basically I, in my head also refers to the fact that the learner is somehow part of shaping something in the educational process, which doesn't have to be maybe the curricula, maybe it can be actually, um, uh, maybe not even the topic of the, of the lesson or the session, um, but rather what happens within it and how it happens. And I was thinking myself actually of an, of an example of when I was a learner, uh, quite recently, and also not in a non-formal space, but m more in a formal setting, but not fully, um, because I live in Hungary, and I had this Hungarian teacher who was teaching me Hungarian, which, by the way, is a very difficult language. And once, because I had this limited time uh, that I could learn Hungarian, and I only had a few uh, lessons and a few times that I met her, so once she asked me, uh, okay, next time you have your final lesson, we cannot learn everything, so you can choose, do you want to learn restaurant terminology or do you want to learn how to conjugate verbs? Which basically, I was thinking about today that actually she did involve me as a learner um, because I, she gave me the framework, but I could choose where I want to go with my learning. And she was still the facilitator of the learning process. 
Uh, by the way, I picked uh, the verbs, which now is a problem when I go to restaurants because I cannot actually order anything. And in this situation, I think I'm the one who is responsible for my learning. I'm the one who made this choice. It's not her because she could have actually taught me those things, but I chose something else. So for me, this also actually connects to the question of responsibility. Who is responsible for, um, for learning? And I think, yeah, this for me becomes interesting when you have a learner-centered approach where learners are taking a bigger part of creating the learning space and what is being, what is being learned and how. Um, because what happens if they don't learn? What happens if you have a session and people are not learning? Ah, oh, well, that's a good question. What happens when you have a session that you want it to be learner-centered, but people don't learn? So what I, what I get from our discussion so far is that we're not necessarily looking at the personal individual need that we want to go out there and pursue in order to learn, but rather some uh, a need that can also be influenced or, or uh, and a process in which there is also co-creation, meaning between the trainer or the teacher and uh, the pupil, the student, or or the learner. Uh, but yeah, th this this last point that you brought up uh, for for me for me it comes. Uh, I come back to the practice. One of the things I'm struggling the most uh, lately is this uh, principles learn and centeredness because for some reason the international projects that I end up working in uh, attract a lot of young people. Uh, in the past, I would say. Roughly 80 to 90% of the people were really present because of the topic that we were discussing. So there was obviously a need, the personal need that they identified uh, and that they saw that the, the, the training may uh, somehow uh, resolve. Uh, now this percentage has dropped. So in some of the trainings I've done last year, for example, I had maybe 50% of the people interested in the subject. So all of a sudden I have a room f uh, full of people which half is interested, half is not interested to be there. So how do you deal with the, tr as a trainer, how do you deal with such a group? How do you work with, with the needs of the 50% that don't even care for being there, that are just there because there was a free ticket to come to this country and there is free food for a, a week, a program as well, maybe some visits and some shopping in the in the city next door. So I found that very challenging in terms of addressing those kind of mix of needs, knowing that, again, we are in a non-formal setting and I'm supposed to really put the learners at the center of the, of the learning process. Because it's everyone's choice to learn somehow and when they decide that they are not interested, then what do we do? What do we do, Natalia? <laughs> well, uh, I guess honestly we jump a little bit out of the topic of learner-centeredness <laughs> here because it's more like uh, how do we deal and who we keep in focus as educators and for me I mean if uh, if let's say I launch a training course and then some people come who really want to be there and then there are also those who not necessarily want to be there mm -hmm. then still my focus is with those who come to be there and for me they are learners which would be in, uh, in, in the focus mm -hmm. and the others I guess they can either find um, uh, their own way how they they go around the, the process 
I, I don't think that it's so much my responsibility because mm. I guess they voluntarily come uh, to this activity and they know that, for example, doesn't matter for, mm. for which reason they go, maybe for traveling, maybe for whatever, if you speak about youth projects, mm. but um, still they know that it comes as a package with a training program. And honestly, I don't think it's bad. Uh, my first time when I participated in um, my first work camp program, for instance, many years ago, I came with a motivation to travel. And then I got engaged. No so, I mean, uh, <laughs> sometimes you, you don't know, but what I think is wrong to do is wrong to focus on the needs of those who uh, are completely outside of what have been promised by this training course, because mm -hmm. by this way, it's very easy to lose also actually those mm -hmm. who, who, who come to learn, to come for a particular topic. And maybe one more reaction, if I if I may, I guess um, I'm I'm not that big fan of the idea that learner centeredness is about having decided about everything or choosing everything what you learn. I guess partially it is so, but partially it is not, because for me, learner centeredness in non-formal education is still. Uh, not fully a self-directed learning, which uh, sometimes can be uh, fully informal. And I guess there is this blurry uh, line between both. And when we speak about education, we still speak about certain framework where we can put learner in a center, but we cannot, through group learning, provide individual approach to everyone when you have a group of 30 people. So it always goes in this um, sort of balance. And I guess this learner-centeredness is actually implemented through experiential learning mm -hmm. and through some other approaches or methodologies or techniques uh, which, which we use in the training course, mm -hmm. for instance. Yeah, I think we should also not forget that all education somehow, including non-formal education, should be structured, it should be planned, and it should, well, if you ask me, it should to some extent also be facilitated, which means that you create this framework, and I can think that's where there is still we can still have something to do as trainers. There is still a future for us <laughs> um, because someone needs to create this framework. And then for me, at least, this learner-centered approach is something that you can assure within this framework through different methods. And then I think also to some extent, to, to different extent, depending on what you want to do, because I also don't know, maybe this is a very provocative thing to say, but I don't know if it's always equally important in everything you want to do in, in education and in learning. I wanted to come back to your initial questions about practices, but also connecting to the framework that we're talking about now. And when I, w when I started participating in training courses as a participant in the beginning, after I fell in love with non-formal education, I found this such a repetitive thing. Like in every training, you start with, you know, uh, expectations and contributions and uh, concerns and so on. But then you realize later on that actually this is a process that is directed towards learner-centeredness, you really literally genuinely want to know what is it that people uh, expect from the training course. Of course, that you have announced the training course. So anyone who wants to go, they, they get to read the call, they see what the objectives are, they see what the content is. But it's a good moment to recheck what people are really interested in and what they want to learn. So, so that you can, as a trainer, uh, make those changes that are needed that you were just talking about in, in this process that you, you set up for, for the learning. So again, for me, this is one, one example of a little uh, exercise that, that obviously it's there in the beginning of the training. It may sound repetitive. If you, if you are a young person who goes to trainings almost every week or every month, 
uh, as some of my 50% uh, participants used to. They discover the Erasmus Plus, for example, and then they are traveling for a whole year from one event to another. Great. Again, you discover Europe, maybe even learn new languages. It's awesome. But that element, that element is repetitive, but it makes sense for everyone, actually, for the whole group, because it will direct somehow the process as well. And, and it may help the trainers also adjust to a certain extent, uh, you know, what comes in, in, in the week. Yeah, I think this, there are these uh, very common tips and tricks or these things that are usually somehow put almost by default, as you say. And I wonder, actually, if the people who get bored or, or find them repetitive, it's, if it's not actually the trainer's team and not so much the participants. But I think this we can discuss. Um, but I think what's important there is that it, when, when you have those things in place, the ground rules, the expectation around the different meet-time um, evaluation, the reflections, whatever, that there's also this um, openness and this interest from the trainer to also take it into account. Because I think it can easily be something that you do just because it's there always and you listen to expectations and you hear what you want to hear, but you're not actually open to put the learner in the center and to actually adapt maybe your methods or adapt your level of information based on what you hear. And I think this openness also requires maybe certain competences or certain skills from the trainer to, yeah, to actually implement it fully. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think this is the challenge. If if we look at um, you know, if we look at the definition of learned centeredness uh, in in the in in the way it is, let's say, uh, rigidly written, and and when when it concerns the fact that methodologies, uh, methods, and learning sites or so venues as well should be somehow uh, adapted or chosen by by learners and so on and so forth, it things become complicated. There are so many. Uh, variables then that you as a trainer need to take care of and then there's another dimension of challenge that i would say is that you know what what happens when when you have that sort of expectations round and all of a sudden the group wants to go in a different direction what do we do as trainers i think this is where we find ourselves in a sort of a, a big dilemma because yes on one side following what they say would be obviously uh, you know a proof of of uh, following these principles of of uh, uh, learner centeredness. However, we also are hired for a particular reason, be it an institution or be it an, org an NGO, an organization and so on. And we are expected also to deliver from that perspective. So another, you know, another moment of, of where you have to juggle a little bit with priorities and to also understand how to work with the group in order to possibly achieve uh, your objectives in the end. Well, uh, I actually can bring a couple of examples of the training courses when uh, at a certain moment uh, we gave this responsibility to the group to decide what they want to do. And one of those was quite a successful example. Another one was rather a bad practice, which I would not like to repeat. So maybe starting with a <laughs> successful example. <laughs> Uh, well, no, successful example, I guess there was this gendered training course. I don't know, Bogdi, if you remember that or not, but at some moment, you remember there was this resistance from some of the male participants towards certain concepts, and there was almost a revolution starting when they wanted to mm. uh, bring the topics that obviously men also get uh, sometimes discriminated, violated, abused. And then 
it created such a tension that we could not just go on with the program as it is. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I mean, when you speak about feminism, about fragility, or certain issues about the amount of abuse that uh, women face in the world, it's also ridiculous to, to, to switch the focus. So what we did, we opened a space like, uh, I don't know, for one hour or for one session when we just let them speak. Mm. Mm. And then at some moment we debriefed it and we just compared data statistics what happens with women what happened with men and also it gave us time actually to prepare a little bit to to, to frame it and this mm-hmm. is a I, I think it was a successful example yes we gave them some time but it still did not turn completely um, uh, the training course to another direction mm-hmm. and another case was when uh, once we thought it might be not a bad idea as a learning process to let participants to build the programs themselves based on their needs and what they want to learn mm-hmm. And so we spend the day on uh, basically letting them building this agenda. Mm. And uh, then uh, I think somewhere in the middle, uh, both us and them realize that it goes nowhere. <laughs> it doesn't uh, result in any sustainable learning solution. So like uh, if you look at each concrete workshop or master class, maybe it has certain value, but uh, somehow it doesn't fit to the whole program and to the inner expectations on regarding the challenge and results uh, of, uh, of this high promise of this training course, which mm. somehow they got uh, when they started this long-term training course. Mm. And this is where we realized that we failed. And actually, we come across this request of participants, oh, let's do that, or we know how to do it better, la la la. But I guess this is also where responsibility with the trainer is, to actually uh, know better the standard, to know better where you want to to go. Because sometimes, I guess, uh, learners actually do not exactly know what the actual needs are mm-hmm. and what the actual expectations are. And sometimes we uh, get to this clarification on the process, when in fact it's uh, too late uh, to, to fix the problem if you end up in a problem. Yeah, I wanted to say if you um, in this case where you unsuccessfully asked people to define design their own program, that what they in the end did and came up with didn't actually answer their needs. No. So even if you in a way gave them the full power of the learner centeredness and they could do whatever they want with the space, it didn't actually go where you would have maybe or it didn't actually reach the objectives or it didn't actually answer the needs of the group which is very interesting because then you yeah I think what you mean what you're saying you challenge very much this um, ultimate learner centeredness uh, which is on the far end of the spectrum let's yeah I I would say that we let's say we what we managed to do at least in that training course what to to satisfy them at the level of the need for freedom right but at the content level uh, that were related to the training itself, it was poor. It was much poorer than if we would have delivered the, the, the same content, basically. So in the world of training, we can say that there is still a certain need for expertise or knowledge or facilitation. Maybe think, not always. I, no, I think so. I, I, I would say maybe not always, but uh, quite often. Mm. Mm. I think there we come back again, again to this framework. And if I would take again the example of my Hungarian class, I can also say that I, I think in general have many learning needs. And they are they, my learning needs in life, they span from in many different fields. But what the framework of my Hungarian class can give me is not 
anything else than the language of Hungarian, which means if my learning needs are beyond that, even if it's history of Hungary or if it's grammar in other languages, I cannot get that in that framework. And that's also the role of my teacher or the role of the trainer in a training course to stay, still stay somehow within this framework. And then, of course, comes this, uh, as you mentioned, Bogdi, this objectives, or maybe there is an expectation from a donor or there is another another bigger framework somehow that in a way limits maybe you, but it also creates some maybe guidelines. On the other hand, I would not be so radically saying that, I don't know, if you study Hungarian, you cannot also uh, learn uh, history of Hungary or whatever, uh, which relates to that. Mm. Uh, because I also know examples when people actually learned uh, the language by following what they are interested mm. in in this language. So we know these examples, but we also know that this approach, which is very often effective for some people who learn the language very fast with mm. this, but for many people it doesn't work. And many people, uh, when they study Hungarian, they are not ready to say uh, how and what exactly they want to study. Mm. And I guess this is a big That's difference where, 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 where the expertise comes yes. in. Yeah. I wanted to ask one more question, actually, because now I think we, we had some positive and well, some successful and some unsuccessful examples of learner-centered approach. Um, but to go back again to, to the principle and in a way why it's there, I would like to also maybe see your perspectives on this. Why, why do we talk about it? Why do we try to implement it? What is good about learner-centeredness? If you ask me, I would say this comes back to the discussion we had in an earlier episode about non-formal education and the history and where it comes from. Um, and for me, the, the learner-centeredness uh, approach is very much connected to this idea that non-formal education is catering real needs of people. So uh, as opposed to formal education, which is planned for a long time and you know that you're going to get, you know, a degree in four years, in eight years, in 12 years and so on. In a non-formal education, you are looking at the, the problems that are out there in the society and you are going to have a solution which may not need such a long time in order to reach. So this is where I see the connection between the idea of, you know, centering everything that we do in the non-formal education around the learner, around the needs of the person there. Because it comes and it really, then we manage to address something that is a, a real concern and that maybe even an, imme an immediate need, not just a real one. I think with this being said, one of the things we can ask is more like, what do you think about uh, learner-centeredness and how do you apply it in your work if you are a trainer and if you are listening to this uh, podcast? And we thank all of you for listening to our uh, episode on learner-centeredness and we invite you to join us in the upcoming ones. Until next time, take care. <laughs>